Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. As we continue in Jeremiah with chapter 32, we're now in 587 BC. The 10th year of King Zedekiah's reign is the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon's reign. And this is the most critical year of Jeremiah's 50-year ministry, the year that the nation is destroyed. In verses 2 through 5, we see that Jeremiah is in prison for his prophecies. Jerusalem is under siege by Babylon and will eventually fall. Meanwhile, they're still trying to shut Jeremiah up by imprisoning him. Verses 6 through 15 Even in prison, he will continue his message. We see this with the apostles of the New Testament. We can lock James and John up. We can lock Peter and John up. We can lock Paul and Silas up. And they're just going to continue to prophesy, teach, and praise God right from prison. Jeremiah gives us another object lesson here. He goes and buys a field. Now, this sounds like a very foolish business to do. If your nation's about to go under and not exist anymore, buying a field in that nation doesn't seem like a really great thing to do. But he does um, because it's the idea that it's a sign of hope. I'll buy this field and one day my people will be back here and we'll once again own this land. We are also introduced for the first time to Baruch, the associate of Jeremiah who helps him compile and create this anthology of his sermons that we have. He says to put the deed to it in an earthenware jar. That's because an earthenware jar will keep the moisture from getting to it, keep water from getting to it, keep it from being destroyed or lost. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in earthenware jars. They had lasted a very, very long time because they were found like between the 1940s to the 1970s. I believe was when the last one or so was found. And they had lasted from way back in this time period and, and the time period of Jesus. Verses 16 through 25 are a prayer that Jeremiah gives. Verses 26 through 35, God responds to Jeremiah's prayer. Um, Jeremiah is right that nothing is too hard for God. Jeremiah prayed about the wonderful creative acts of God, um, but God also reminds us that God is just, that those acts that are actually just often feel mean but they're not. God loves all of his children and sometimes has to um, balance the scales. And then God goes on to give reasons why. Verses 36 through 44. Um, then God follows with a hopeful word. They will return from exile um, and they, he'll make an everlasting covenant with them. We believe this everlasting covenant has come in Jesus. He will put a heart for God in the people. They'll be planted in righteousness. Fields will once again be bought the way Jeremiah has bought the field. In chapter 33, we're still in the book of consolations or the book of comfort. This is the last chapter of it. Jeremiah is still imprisoned. In verses 1 through 13, we have a positive word. Jerusalem is trying to fortify the walls to prevent Babylon from breaching them. 
And Jeremiah is allowed to breach the wall of the Lord to see into the secret things that usually only the Lord knows, which is the future. And what he finds is a plan for restoration. Verses 14 through 18, he says, the days are surely coming. There's a future vision of a Davidic king of justice and righteousness. And many of us see this as another prophecy of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, when it says it, it's referring to the city. Verses 19 through 26, God keeps his covenants. His loyalty is not easily broken. In chapter 34, we are no longer in the book of comfort or the book of consolations, but it is still during the siege of Babylon. In verses 2 through 7, God tells Jeremiah that he's going to get to meet Nebuchadnezzar personally. Um, he assures Jeremiah that he'll get to die peacefully. He won't be killed um, as his own people w- have wanted to do. Um, and he will be mourned, uh, meaning that he was loved, respected, and will be missed. Um, he then says this to Zedekiah. Then there's a word about Zedekiah. Um, in verses 8 through 22, Whereas God is loyal and faithful to the covenants, Zedekiah is not. Um, Sabbath rules required the release of slaves after a period of time. Every seven years was a Sabbath. And then after seven Sabbath years, there's a year of Jubilee. But there was a time when there was a reset so that the the gap between the haves and have-nots did not grow. And slaves were set free. So you were not forever an indentured servant that couldn't get out. So Zedekiah had initially observed this Sabbath and and set free people who were enslaved. Then he reversed that decision and changed his mind. Now that's even worse. To dangle freedom in front of people and then revoke it is just cruel. Cross-reference this with Exodus 21 too. Covenant making is a serious business. We don't make promises lightly. Covenants are not to be broken. You you support them and honor them with your life. And so breaking a covenant is a big deal. In the ancient covenant-making ceremony, they would cut a calf in half, and then they would walk between the two halves of the calf. They would state the terms of the covenant, and then they would declare, may this happen to me if I break the terms. In other words, may may I be split in half or killed if I break the terms of this covenant. So what's happening here is God is calling those terms, like he's calling out the consequence. We agreed that if we breached this covenant, this was what would happen, and you've breached your part of it. There's also a Hebrew wordplay here. Um, God will release Zedekiah into the hands of Babylon because he did not release the captives. Um, since he would not release the captives, he'll become a captive. Chapter 35 backs up chronologically again, back to the reign of Jehoiakim. Little is known of the Richabites um, except what we have here. They clearly had some very ascetic practices Um And the idea is that during such a time as this, abandoning those traditional practices could seem acceptable. Like we can't hold to all that because it's just a very difficult time. We're going to have to compromise. But they remain faithful. Rather than looking for reasons to ditch 
their commitments. They look for reasons to remain faithful. Um, The praise here is not for their ascetic practices. The praise here is for their faithfulness. They remain faithful to the commitments of their ancestors, where Israel is not remaining faithful to the commitments of their ancestors to follow and obey God. Chapter 36, we're also in the days of Jehoiakim here, and he gives us a specific date in the fourth year, which is 605 B.C. Now, in 1975, 250 clay seals were found about 40 miles southwest of Jerusalem, bearing three names that are mentioned here. And I'm going to butcher these names. Um, in verse 4, we have Barak Yahu. Um, in verse 12, we have Elishama. And in verse 26, we have Yeramil. In 1978, another seal was found that bears the name Gamaria that we see in verse 11. So we have some independent archaeological support for some of the people <clears throat> that we are hearing about here in Scripture. In verses 1 through 4, um, Jeremiah receives a command to write all his sermons down from the start, from the back from the days of Josiah. <clears throat> and the goal is to get people to repent. Um, and so this is what he does, and he does so with the help of Baruch, his associate or secretary. In verses 5 through 10, he then he's to put some of these on a scroll, and he sends Baruch to read the scroll in the temple. Jeremiah can't go, and we're left to wonder exactly why. Jeremiah is not imprisoned at this time, but he may have been confined in some other way, or he may have been put under a ban, like they banned him from the temple. He does so on a fast day. Um, This is not one of the Old Testament holy days or holidays. This is a proclaimed natural national fast day. Um, And we see that in verses 9 and 10. In verses 11 through 19, the officials get word of what Baruch has read. They recognize that Jeremiah is behind it, and they recommend that Baruch and Jeremiah go hide while they go and talk to the king. In verses 20 through 26, the king's response is to burn the scroll. Um, He's all cozy and lazy in his winter chambers. He's sitting in front of the fire, and and as they read it, he just cuts off a piece of it, tosses it in the fire. There. Um, The most surprising thing, the worst part of the king's response is not that he burned the scroll. It's that he is not filled with alarm at what is contained in it. Um. He then orders that Baruch and Jeremiah be arrested, but God hides them. They can't find them. They can't arrest them because they can't find them. Verses 27 through 32, Jeremiah is not deterred at all by the burning of this scroll. He simply makes another scroll to replace the burned one. And this scroll contains more words of judgment. Um, And we see here that Jehoiakim will have no royal line to seat him. Chapter 37, we're now in the reign of Zedekiah again. Pharaoh's army is on the move. They've left Egypt and coming out to help the Hebrew people. So the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians, withdraw from the siege of Jerusalem to address this. Um, The king is curious to know what is happening, like why they leave, what's going on, and are they coming back? So he asked Jeremiah to pray to God and tell them what God says. 
Verses 6 through 10 tell us that the answer is not favorable. Egypt will eventually go home and the Chaldeans will finish what they started. Um, Zedekiah won't even be hard to defeat. A few injured soldiers would be able to defeat Israel. Um, They'd be able to do it because God is not with Zedekiah. Verses 11 through 21, um, Jeremiah is now arrested under false charges. He's beaten and jailed for a long time. Um, He's beaten for being thought to be a defector Or is he beaten because they really know who he is and this was their excuse or their reason? I don't know. Um, scholars are divided and I'm not sure what I think. I think Jeremiah was probably well known um, since he, he, he is a prophet of Israel. And if they wanted to kill him, then he's probably well known. Now that he's in custody, he is transferred to King Zedekiah's prison. The king is curious, and so he secretly, as we know, admires Jeremiah's tenacity. He does see him as a legitimate prophet. He just doesn't like him. Uh, But Jeremiah is consistent with his message. He's not going to change what God is saying to him just to get out of being in jail. The truth is the truth, and he will share it all the time. Jeremiah argues that he's the true prophet, and he's saying what he hears, and he's doing it for their good. Where are all the prophets, he says, who said that Babylon weren't go- wasn't going to come? Where are they? Because clearly they're not true prophets because ba- here is Babylon. Um, he does, however, ask for some mercy and he receives it. He doesn't want to die and starve in the prison of the others. He, he would rather stay here. He does still remain imprisoned, um, but he gets a little better accommodations and he gets some rations for as long as they last. In chapter 38, verses 1 through 13, Jeremiah prophesies, um, excuse me, Jeremiah's prophecies are seen by many of the people as being pro-Babylonian, like he's on Babylon's side here. He's really not, but the officials are offended that a prophet of Israel is siding with Babylon. They say he's discouraging the people, especially the soldiers, so they're not going to win because Jeremiah is discouraging them. And that he really needs to be put to death. Like we need to get rid of him because he clearly won't shut up. They ask permission to kill him and the king gives it to him. Um, so they go and drop him in a muddy cistern. So he's not going to drown in the mud, but he's going to get marred up. There's no way out. And they leave him to starve to death, buried partially in the mud. But an Ethiopian eunuch named Ebed Melech intervenes Um He and some other friends save him because the king gives them permission to do so, and he ends up going back to prison. An Ethiopian eunuch should sound familiar because we have an Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament that Philip goes and takes the gospel message to who's trying to read the scroll of Isaiah. So we have this Ethiopian overlap with Israel throughout time, and we also have um, this theme of a eunuch um, coming up again. Verses 14 through 28, Zedekiah comes to Jeremiah again and wants to know the truth. He vows to keep Jeremiah safe regardless what he says. And Jeremiah really urges Zedekiah to surrender to Babylon. But Zedekiah is afraid. He's afraid that Hebrew people who have already gone over to the Babylonian side would torture him. That when Nebuchadnezzar captures and takes over, if they surrender... 
that he would be turned over to the Jews who have already been defected and that they would be very cruel to him. Jeremiah assures him that this is not what is going to happen. <clears throat> but he does say, if you don't surrender, then when they take the palace, the women will reveal all the secrets of the palace. You know, they often say the walls have ears. This was true. Um, women, particularly because they tended to be disregarded as not valuable and because their word couldn't be taken as testimony in court, um, things would be said and done in front of women that they didn't think about. Well, they might not be able to testify in court, but they can certainly tell what they know. Um, um, So this conversation, however, is not overheard. Zedekiah and Jeremiah are speaking privately, and Zedekiah urges Jeremiah not to tell the officials what they talked about. They're going to know that they talked because people would have seen the king go into him. Um, But don't tell them what we talked about, and Jeremiah does not. Chapter 39, we have the fall actually take place. Jerusalem falls to Babylon in 587 B.C., In verses 1 through 10 of this chapter, Zedekiah flees. He's trying to reach the desert. He wants to get out of Jerusalem and run away, but he fails. And so sentence is pronounced on him. Um, The sons, his sons, and the nobles, the leaders of the city are killed. And then Zedekiah's eyes are put out so that his last sight was the death of his friends, his leaders, and his children. And then he is carried off to Babylon. In verses 11 through 14, Nebuchadnezzar apparently knows Jeremiah, or at least knows of Jeremiah. He orders him freed, and he's turned over to Gedaliah, who is the grandson of Shephan. Um, Shephan, the famous scribe from 2 Kings 22, verses 3 through 13. In verses 15 through 18, Jeremiah receives a word for Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian eunuch who saved his life from the muddy cistern. And the message is that he too will be saved, just as Jeremiah has. It's a reward and a kindness for having been troubled, for going to the trouble to save Jeremiah's life. Chapter 40, we have more of the story of Jeremiah's release, um, verses 1 through 6. Nebuzaradan, oh, Lord, these names give me trouble. Um, We now know the name of the captain of the guard from the previous chapter, the one who was mentioned in chapter 39, verse 11. He does as King Nebuchadnezzar has ordered him to do. He releases Jeremiah and he gives him a choice. Go with me, I'll treat you well, or you can go to your people. He chooses Gedaliah, who's been made governor of the area. In verses 7 through 12, um, the scattered, those who scattered because of the siege, particularly soldiers who had to flee because they wouldn't have survived, um, all come to get Eliah. He's been named the governor, so they come to him. What do we do now? And he assures them, well, what are we going to do? We're going to survive. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to rebuild our homes and our lives. We're not going to do anything to make Babylon have to send soldiers back and deal with us again. We're going to be quiet and we're going to just live. In verses 13 through 16, one of the soldiers, Johanan, warns Gedaliah that there's a plot against him, that the king of Ammon is sending a man named Ishmael to kill him. 
but Gedaliah doesn't believe the rumor. As we move into chapter 41, verses 1 through 3, we see that Gedaliah should have believed Johanan. Ishmael comes with 10 men, um, an, an emissary group from the king of Ammon, and while they're having dinner, they kill Gedaliah. The next day, in verses 4 through 10, um, 80 men come to the city, come to Jerusalem, come to the city to worship. Um, and 70 of them receive a similar fate to Gedaliah and the officials who were at that dinner. Ten of them, however, offer a bribe for their life. We'll give you all the stores of stuff that we have if you'll let us live. And so they do. <clears throat> and the people that Ishmael and his contingent kill fill a large cistern. The bodies of the slain are all thrown into the cistern, and they take most of the people of the city captive and start home. However, verses 11 through 18, Johanan comes to fight against them. They get their captives back, but Ishmael and his men escape home to Ammon. Um, Now the people who remain are afraid that Babylon will retaliate because in the dinner with Gedaliah and his officials, there were also Babylonians. And so they believe Babylon will retaliate for what Ishmael has done. They won't believe or they won't care that it was people from from Ammon that did this. Um, So moving into chapter 42, they go ask Jeremiah what they should do. In verses 1 through 6, Jeremiah agrees to ask the Lord on their behalf, but they have to promise him that they will do whatever it is that they hear from God they're supposed to do. And they agree. Verses 7 through 22, though, tell us that 10 days later, Jeremiah gets before God, prays and listens. 10 days later, he's ready to share the answer that he's heard. And the answer is, stay put. Running away will make you look guilty. You will not escape violence by running to Egypt. In fact, you'll find violence there if that's where you go. Instead, he gives us more of that build and plant language that's common to this book. All right, that takes us through chapter 42. I'm going to stop here, pick up with chapter 43 in the next podcast. Thank you.